Let's play that one out. Every ritual has its purpose. What ammo have we seen so far? First, they bound her. Then they ripped out her tongue, poisoned her, paralyzed her, forced her to swallow the cloth. Then the, the cuts, the internal mutilation, stabs. Then, as if that wasn't enough, they burned her. Almost like a human sacrifice. someone this way without leaving a trace on the outside. She doesn't even have a broken nail. If we could just find out why she was tortured. Down here, if you can't see it, touch it, it doesn't matter. Mommy told me something a little girl should know. I saw the apparition of Giles Corey come and afflict me, urging me to write in his book. And so he continued most dreadfully to hurt me by times beating me and almost breaking my back, till the day of his examination being the 19th of April, 1692. And then also, during the time of his examination, he did afflict and torture me most grievously, and also several times since urging me vehemently to write in his book. And I verily believe in my heart that Giles Corey is a dreadful wizard, for since he had been in prison, he or his appearance has come and most grievously tormented me. Herman Hermitus was a 13th century Czech monk who had broken his monastic vows. The abbot of his monastery was to administer the normal punishment for this, walling Herman up. However, he begged and begged. Let me prove to you my devotion to God, he pleaded. Finally, it was determined that if Brother Herman could write all earthly knowledge in one night, he would avoid his punishment. However, close to midnight, Brother Herman realized that he had barely even cracked into what he needed to do, so he prayed. But instead of praying to God or the Virgin Mary, he did something far, far darker. Brother Herman prayed to the devil. According to the legend, the devil answered his prayer, and by midnight, Brother Herman had finished the Codex. Uh, the other monks who discovered that Herman had in one night managed to write the entire Bible, as well as transcribe St. Isidore's Encyclopedia, the Chronicle of Bohemia, and a medical guidebook, more sinister, however, were what Brother Herman had written in the Codex that fell outside the realm of human knowledge. In the Codex, Herman had included previously unknown magical formulae, a map of heaven, and an image that makes it famous, a detailed illustration of the devil. These have never been done in Bibles before, but Herman had supposedly put it in to thank 
the creature who helped him. The Codex, known as the Codex Gygas, is 70 kilograms, and required two monks to remove it from the room where Brother Herman wrote. Where he got the wood, metal, and calfskin, they didn't know. Brother Herman must have been truly devoted to God, his fellow monks thought, for this miracle to have been performed. To this day, the Codex baffles archaeologists and historians. The amount of writing in it would have taken upwards of 30 years, not including the drawings, but analysis of the writing shows it was written by the same person, and that it was written in a very short period of time, with not a single error and no deterioration in the writing. To this day, how this was possible is beyond those who have studied the Codex. And since its creation, Brother Herman's name has been deliberately mistranslated. He has been known as Herman the Recluse, an attempt to provide an explanation to this work that perhaps he locked himself away for decades to create the Codex. But this is not true. The literal translation of Hermetus is not Herman the Recluse. However, it is Herman the Walled, or less literally, Herman the Punished. Perhaps the most disturbing thing about the Codex Gygus is what isn't in it. Several pages have been removed and presumably destroyed by the monks who safeguarded it since its creation. And, according to legend, these pages were a satanic grimoire, a textbook of occult magic and procedures. Legend has it that one of these pr pages included a prayer to the devil, a prayer which could bring about the end of the world. Hey everybody, um, it's your Juno, and we're coming at you with a special spooky Halloween edition episode. Woohoo! So we decided we would, uh, you know, we might have some, some stuff to talk about, but we have something very special planned for next week. We might plug that at the end of the show, but for right now, I think we're just going to get into a little uh, movie review. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. Malcolm, you recommended this movie to me. Um, you just said that it was very scary, and, and then I went and watched it and, you know, kind of agreed that, yes, we should absolutely re uh, do a review on this. So Yeah, I actually, I didn't even, it was so important to me that he sort of have the most peer viewing experience. I didn't even let him have access to the... Uh the script document um, yeah it, it would have it would have ruined the movie if you know i knew the sort of historical i guess references or context in which as usual in, in the movie into. yeah so we yeah. will so the movie we're reviewing is called the autopsy of jane doe it was released in 2016 and i mean the if you want to watch this movie turn off the pod right now go watch it and then yep. come back because from this point on this is your formal spoiler alert so if mm -hmm. anyone intends on seeing this movie just because of how much we've hyped it up go and watch it seriously it's very good and then come back yeah. and listen to this mommy told me something a little girl should know it's all about the devil and i've learned to hate him so she said he causes trouble when you let him in the room he will never ever leave you if your heart is filled with bloom so let the sun shine in When you are unhappy, the devil wears a grin. But oh, he starts to run when the lights come pouring in. I know he'll be unhappy, cause I'll never wear a frown. Maybe if we keep on smiling, he'll get tired of hanging around. So let the sun shine in, face it with a grin. Smilers never lose, and frowners never win. So let the sun shine in, face it with a grin. Open up your heart and let the sun shine in. Yeah, um, before we get into the, like, sort of actual review, I just want to say that the probably the the best thing about this movie maybe were uh it's three stars uh brian cox emile hirsch and uh olwyn kelly um just incredible acting really sold the movie yeah um it, it really 
you know, it seems like obviously there's some sort of suspension of disbelief for any horror movie. But I mean, they really they do an excellent job of, I guess, keeping you involved. Um, yeah, well, especially, especially I'm going to get into that, especially okay. Owen Kelly. I mean, she did a she oh did an incredible God. job yeah. as uh, as, you know, Jane Doe, who the is corpse. having this. Well, the quote unquote corpse. We'll, we'll yeah. get to that. But yeah, she um, she did an incredible job. I mean, you know, her job is mostly to lay there on a steel slab. Yeah. But, you know, spoiler alert, when she starts moving. It really, I, I don't know, it becomes, it, well, that's it really, actually, you kind of get pulled the, into it. That's the thing, like, that's one of the things I actually really like about this movie, is that she actually doesn't move. She Yeah, so she doesn't move, it, it's just sort of things start happening. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, let, let, let's just get into the plot, right? Yeah, um, we'll, we'll, we'll... So, we, we start off, um here uh with uh, some cops and they're investigating a brutal murder scene in a house in grantham virginia so uh an entire family and a construction worker who was renovating their basement are dead um but it's a really they're they're sort of dumbfounded they don't know what's happened because there are no signs of forced entry and it doesn't look like anybody inside actually did it um the sheriff concludes that it's almost like they were trying to to break out of the house rather than someone else breaking in um, so they're really confused as to what's going on here. And, and in the construction site in the basement, they find this, the body of this woman who is, is partially unearthed, um, naked yet completely clean and, you know, dead, but seemingly uninjured. Uh, she's marked as a Jane Doe, uh, which is an unidentified dead woman. Um, and so the sheriff sort of sees media attention, uh, and he decides that by morning he needs an answer, any kind of answer. Um, so then the the sort of next scene is at the Tilden family morgue where the son Austin and his father Tommy are performing an autopsy on a badly burned body from a house fire. So Austin the son believes that the man died of his burns, but Tommy his father shows to him that he had fallen and hit his head before he was burned with, you know, the message here being that oh you have to look maybe a little deeper because the answer will not be on the surface because you know, the man's body is obviously burned, but he, there's a, a, a skull fracture that indicated that that was what the man died of. So yeah. Austin's girlfriend then shows up, Austin's girlfriend Emma shows up for a date, and he reveals that he wants to, you know, quit the family business, but because his his mother killed herself two years prior, he needs to help it. He needs to help his dad at the morgue, or rather, like he wants to help his dad. He yeah, feels, he, like, want, he wants. He wants to. He wants to. Yeah, help his dad out. And Tommy explains to Emma how it's a morgue tradition to tie bells to the ankles of corpses because in the past it was hard to tell if they were dead or just comatose. Which was, you know, I was watching that and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's where this movie is going. The villain, yeah. you know, that was my initial thought was, oh, the villain's obviously going to be the body. Right, and she's obviously not dead. If Tommy is saying this right now, it really about... it takes you on a spin. This movie, yeah, um, because the whole time you're okay. So when does when does Jane Doe wake up and start you know walking shit? around punching people? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so, and, spoiler yeah, alert: she never really does. She never moves the entire <laughs> yeah. movie. Yeah, um, 
which is is first of all again incredible feat for the actress but also really big subversion and i i feel like i've seen a lot of people like oh i want to see a sequel but i feel like a sequel would ruin this movie like there is something sort of naturally unsettling about corpses and autopsies that they i think really play up quite effectively here and just this idea of her moving around sort of actually does retroactively sort of make it less scary anyway so yeah right before they sort of like oh go ahead it's sort of like um you know people the have you seen the the netflix show you based off that novel no but i know it's about guy so the whole the concept is interesting for one season and then as soon as you get to the end of of you season one i won't spoil it but you get to the end and you're like okay so that's what that's what the main character is like yeah so you know all the sort of suspense and maybe he'll become a better person is just gone yeah so it kind of ruins it making a second season and the same thing would happen for this movie yeah you can't really make a sequel out of this well, yeah, as I said, a lot of what makes this movie so frightening is in the like masterfully constructed plot, and um, and the atmosphere, and because it's a good plot, it ties itself up quite well, right? And so, any addition to that sort of would make it quite a bit harder to um, to 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 actually sort of. Well, again, it would, it would be like retroactively ruining, it. like yeah, like, yeah, you said with you or. Like how the fourth season of Sherlock made it impossible to watch the first three, even though they were great. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they're about to leave Emma and, and Austin, and the sheriff sort of shows up with the body, um, Jane Doe, which immediately produces and, a negative and, reaction from their cat. Yeah, which again was like, okay, yeah, so Jane Doe, you know, this this corpse is obviously the villain, because, oh, their cat is being freaked out by it. Yeah. Which, looking back at it now, is like, oh, okay, so that's why this movie decided to go in the direction it did. Yeah, but yeah. But then it was just like, okay, so their pet's having a bad reaction, which is like a classic horror movie trope. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, that's yeah, kind so of where, it, that's where it leads you. Yeah, and so it basically, the guy's like, okay, the news is like on my ass, I need a cause of death by the morning. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, Tommy and Emma postpone their date. There's this whole thing, and, and then he's like, you know, 11 o'clock, come back. Uh, I'll take you out to the movies. Whatever, right? Uh, and, you know, he needs to help his dad. Um, his dad was originally going to do it alone, but 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 Austin decides uh, that, that he should help him out. Um, and so they begin recording. They've got their, you know, typical autopsy setup if you've ever seen the movies you know they've got you got the microphone above them you've got the the camera the video camera yeah. and the polaroids um and so they sort of explain i guess for the benefit of the viewer um that that that's autopsy is going to take place in several stages uh you know you start with a surface level examination um of her skin of her outsides then you open up the chest cavity you examine her organs and then you know finally uh you open up the head um, and they're listening to the radio the entire time, and the disc jockey's like, okay, this weather's very clear, it's gonna hold that way for days. Um. Which, you know, is always, little, little things like that in horror movies. That the radio is a, a, quite a good, it, it advances the yeah. plot in quite an interesting way. But. Just go ahead. So, yeah, we, we start off with the surface examination. Um, I will issue a sexual assault slash, um, rape trigger warning at this point, so we'll. Yeah put a little and, skip zone we'll give you a, a timestamp to skip to if you're sensitive about that stuff so yeah 
Um, so her skin is unbroken, completely undamaged, and they find peat moss in her hair and under her nails. And Tommy notes that it's likely she was originally buried in the peat moss before being moved to the basement. Um, keep in mind, this this is in Virginia, the movie is set, and peat moss is not found in Virginia. He says that peat is only found up north. Which, We've got deposits in Ontario, but uh, yeah, he and means... Without spoiling too much, because we're going to get into it, there are a lot of peat moss deposits uh, in Ontario as well as in Massachusetts. Yeah. In New England in general, yeah. Yeah. So despite, you know, her skin being unbroken and completely undamaged, her wrists and ankles are broken. This is Yeah, there's not even any bruising, which is really weird. They're like, this is weird how they could be broken with not even any bruising. Yeah, so her yeah, completely undamaged, zero bruising. And Tommy says that he's seen this before in a sex trafficking case. A rape kit comes back positive, so this sort of leads Tommy to believe that this was a, a sex trafficking case. Yeah. Um, a fly crawls out of her nose in the middle of this scene, and it just... It's like sort of little things like that all throughout the movie that you know don't necessarily it's not like it's jump scares the whole time but it's just a very deeply unsettling movie yeah yeah well it's like you know her her nose sort of starts to twitch and you're like what the hell but yeah and it's just a, it's a fly but even even so it's kind of like what the heck yeah um, um and so austin who's taking the pictures for their investigation um decides to open her eyes and discovers that her eyes are entirely clouded over so, which tends to happen if you've been dead for a very long time, even though she hasn't decomposed at all. So th- this is sort of a... It's it's as if It's as if she was, you know, the rest of her body is indicating that she was, you know, ve- very recently murdered, but her eyes are completely clouded over. Yeah. And, well, they don't even know if she was murdered necessarily. Yeah. But they don't they, know why she's they, dead, but like... Her body, the condition of her body is someone who's not been dead for a long time, except for her eyes, which which are. Yeah. So Austin also opens her mouth and finds that her tongue has been severed, but they find that it, it was torn out rather than cut out, and she's also missing one rear molar. And yeah. the final thing that they notice in this scene is that her waist is small for her body, which is just a sort of, I guess, an odd thing that they just sort of would note in, a, in an autopsy. Yeah, and so they're like, well, let's wait till we open her up. Um, and they do. So they, they move on to the next phase. So they open up her chest cavity. Um, and so they're sort of, they're shocked to see that when they cut into her, you know, the typical. Her blood, she breathes, bleeds like a fresh corpse. Um, a few hours dead, you know, despite her eyes. And they're like, well, what the hell is going on? Um Meanwhile, the radio sort of comes into focus again, and they're warning of a sort of a freak storm. Um, and then it sort of seems to tune itself, shifting first to the noise of a woman screaming, and then to this song, uh, Let the Sun Shine In by the McGuire Sisters. So here's another horror movie trope that they kind of play with. Uh, you know, you're Which sort is of creepy... here. Here's, here, here's a creepy old song. <laughs> yeah, you will have heard uh, the relevant part of it and the sort of opening that, that we've put together. And it's sort of overlooked because, again, it is a trope, but it's it's really important. I sort of want to talk here about about the lyrics, and, and so yeah, you will have heard them, and I won't explain them yet. Um, but uh, it goes, you know, mommy told me something a little girl should know. It's all about the devil, and I've learned to hate him so. 
She said he causes trouble when you let him in your room, and he'll never ever leave you if your heart is filled with gloom. This is a prophecy and a warning. Keep that in mind. Anyways, they hear a thump in the hallway. You know, Austin goes to investigate, and, and he sees um, a reflection of a woman standing in the hall, but when he turns the corner, no one's there. Um, he then discovers their cat severely injured, um, and so they, they put it out of its mercy and incinerate the body. Um, Tommy says the cat was the last thing they had of his wife, so he takes a few minutes, um, and then they go back to to the, the procedure. So they open her up, and they see that her waist is indeed too small for her frame. The only sort of hypothesis they have for why this is, which they again find to be really weird, is it is it's as if she's been wearing a corset her whole life, right? Something to compress it. And they're like, why would that be? They haven't Who done that the since would... the 1800s. Yeah. Um, or, her perhaps, are in... or perhaps the late 1600s. Perhaps the late 1600s. So her organs are in a terrible state. Um, her lungs are burned. Her heart's being like punctured and slashed. Um, Tommy notes that if her exterior condition matched her interior condition, she'd be like mangled and unrecognizable. Um, it's as if she was, like, stabbed and cut open, uh, and also burned. Um, but of course, there's not a, a blemish, not a broken nail, right, on the outside of her body. And so inside her stomach, they actually find the missing molar, uh, wrapped in a cloth with some ritualistic symbology and, and some random letters and numbers on it. Um, and Jimson weed, which is a plant from New England, um which is a poison and a paralyzing agent. So I did some research, actually, into Jimson weed. Um, and so the the medical name for this is Deturus dromonium, which is, is known as Jimson weed. It's also known as, importantly, the devil's snare. Um, and so they say it's a poison, um, but it's not just a poison. In the movie, they say it's a poison. It's not just a poisoning agent or a paralyzing agent. It does both, but it also um, is often used by desperately poor addicts because it gives you a severe and often terrifying delirium and hallucinations which again it's important to my theory about this movie which we'll get to later uh the radio says that rain is expected to top three inches within the hour um they find that the inside of her skin has this massive ritualistic tattoo but again it's not on the outside uh and they hypothesize that jane doe was a human sacrifice um, they still can't explain why she's, like, externally, like, okay, but their hypothesis for the internal damage is that, is that she was a human sacrifice. Um, and it's important to note at this point that throughout the examination, um, Tommy's been very, like, clinical, uh, and very professional. Well, as, as you have to be in that line of work, to be fair. Uh, yeah, as you have to be. And, and you, you know, it's, can't, it's... you can't get wrapped up in, oh my god, this person had a life you know at that point it's your job to just mm -hmm. find what you can observe and do your job and you know rummage through a corpse to try yeah, to find so, a cause of death so it's only barely mentioned but when they sort of start the surgery you know they do the the typical thing um where it's like you know tommy tilden presiding assisted by and then uh by by austin tilden and they say nurse practitioner which is is important because that means that austin's had training as a nurse which means his job is to be sympathetic. Yeah, right? he's got the and medical to experience. Try his job. and keep people alive, whereas or keep people uh, happy, even. Yeah, right, uh, and comfortable. Whereas, yeah, Tommy is is clinical, and then, so it's not necessarily a fault, but it's actually something to note later on. So you know, 
Austin keeps trying to be sympathetic, and, and Tommy keeps saying, like, we just have to get to the bottom of this. You know, if you're sympathetic to her, we're not going to figure out what happened to her. Like, what's going to be the greater justice? Um, so, which is, yeah, think about it. So go ahead, yeah. It, it's, so yeah, now we're going to, the next scene is that the radio begins to warn of flash floods, which again, as the radio had advised that, you know, it'll be clear for the next couple days, you now sort of start to get a sense of, okay, so this is where everything's going wrong. And even though, you know, I sometimes I I have a bad habit of taking that mindset with me into horror movies, of sort of being too cynical, this movie really sort of got my blood pumping. Yeah, Yeah. it sort of got my blood pumping because that's the very sort of first sign. You know, this throughout the whole movie, you're expecting her to get up and start destroying things. But this is sort of when you realize that's not what's going to happen here. Yeah. It's when you realize that it, it they're going for a much slower burn and that you're, you know, the ritualistic tattoos are sort of what they're going to be playing on. And yeah. So as... and, and so, no, I just, I just want to say that, like, there's nothing, like, objectively scary has happened yet in the movie. It's just been this sort of it's just incredibly unsettling. unsettling. Yeah, very unsettling sort of build-up. Um, I think the first act is the best part of the movie. I think it would be the first act and the third act. The second half, the yeah. second act, I think sort of got a bit repetitive. Um, it it kind of got wrapped up in itself. And yeah, it tried, and it, like, it's it wasn't... Trying to, it's trying too hard to keep you interested by just scaring you a whole bunch. Yeah, and it was like it was good enough. It's just I felt like it, it, it didn't have the sort of strength of plot um, that, that the, the first act and then the third act, which we'll get into... Had. But yeah, so this brings us into the second act. Go ahead. Yeah, so yeah, so the radio warns of flash floods and the lights in the the autopsy room explode. So in the darkness, there's a sort of yeah, a cacophony of noise which recedes with a tinkling of bells. Now this I, I think I said the flash flood moment was when you realize everything's going down, but as soon as I heard the bells, I'm like, oh, shit, it's what he said right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Just what this weirdo said to his son's girlfriend about some to weird scare her. It was literally tradition. a prank. Yeah. It was a prank. Yeah. Um, and now that there's actually the tinkling of bells. <laughs> yeah. No, this was, is when you good. start to sort of, yeah, things. This is when the movie takes its turn. Yeah. So. Using his, the flashlight on his phone, Austin finds Tommy, and they both see that all the coolers are open and all the bodies are just gone. So this is their moment when they realize, okay, something supernatural is happening, and they decide to try to escape. But in typical horror movie fashion, the elevator won't work without power, and a tree has fallen on top of the emergency exit because of the flash flooding and the storm. So... They make it to the office, and of course, because of the storm, they can't call the sheriff. Austin's cell phone has no ser- has no service. So this is their, we're locked in with the monster moment. Yeah. Um, and after some sort of, you know, close calls and jump scares where Tommy gets attacked by something that, you know, we as the viewer don't see, they dis- they sort of settle on, okay, this is the, this is because of Jane. And if we can just destroy her... Um, we can escape here. So they get back to the operation room, but they're trapped inside by what appears to be another body, and they can't wheel her over to the incinerator. So they douse her, and I think it was, it might have been lighter fluid? I don't know. I don't know what it was. It, it, it was a flammable it was, liquid. 
it, it could have been like ethanol alcohol, like yeah. for sterilization. That's what I would think and it is because it's operating room. But so they they light her on fire, but the fire grows like far too big, which and destroys their something. camera and microphone. So they put the fire out, only to see that Jane is completely unscathed. And more importantly, all their evidence is gone. Like yeah, the video so the they evidence... Took of... Yeah. So, yeah, everything is now gone. Their camera's destroyed. So, you know, all that hard work, I guess, was for nothing. Um, so they hear the elevator and run to it. No. And remember, Emma said she was coming back. So they are chased by what looks like a corpse from the beginning of the film. Emma's not. Tommy swings. Tommy swings at it with a fire axe, only to see it as Austin's girlfriend Emma, who dies. So the father and son have a heart-to-heart shot in the elevator, where Tommy explains how unexpected his wife's suicide was, and that he called her his ray of sunshine because she was always unhappy. Or sorry, she was always happy. She was always happy. I wrote that wrong. And and he blames himself for not looking deeper inside. Yeah, and so this is important decide, here. Again, remember, Ray of Sunshine is yeah. important to the, so, the song, right? Yeah, so they, he, they, decide, they decide to go back, finish and, and the autopsy. Sort of and, finish and, the job. Yeah, like, what's going on here? And, and so they take a harrowing run um, back to the operating theater. Once again, Tommy's attacked, but Austin isn't. Um, but they make it. Um, and so... They look at this cloth again that the, the tooth was wrapped in. Um, and even more disturbing is they, they, they realize, they see that the letters on it are actually not nonsense. If you fold it in the right way, um, it spells out LVTCS 2027 or Leviticus 2027. Um, so the characters in the movie read out a sort of a weird abridged version of it, some modern translation that explains it well for the viewer but the actual specific verses is this um in the king james translation a man or also a man also or a woman that hath a familiar spirit or that is a wizard shall surely be put to death they shall stone them with stones their blood shall be upon them uh essentially this means that people who consort with the devil um or practice unnatural and ungodly magic uh will be put to death their blood shall be upon them essentially means that their blood is on their own hands. Uh, in non-biblical terms, the they fucked around and found out. Exactly, exactly. Um, and so they so, they, re- they realize that Jane was the victim of the Salem witch trials. Um, and they take a sample of her brain and discover that she's been alive like this entire time. And there's some sort of energy keeping her alive and conscious. So at this point, they realize that so they they think that everyone executed in the Salem witch trials was executed in the sort of legal manner, which would at that time be hanging. More on that. This later. doesn't this doesn't match up with the sort of ritualistic what what would appear to have been burning of Jane Doe and how burning, she was sort slicing, of forced to, to swallow the molar, whatever. Just and so Tommy posits that perhaps they tried to exercise witchcraft from the town and perform the ritual on her, but they somehow messed it up. And in the process, actually turned her into a witch. So, Jane has been sort of feeding on people and healing herself. That's why her outside is pristine. And that's what happened to the construction worker who dug her up and the family renovating their basement. Survivors couldn't kill her, so they simply dumped her further and further away and forgot about the problem. This is why she was buried first in New England 
and then in Virginia. Yeah. And so they realize that, you know, once they realize that she's been alive this whole time, that they've accidentally been torturing her too. And so Tommy tries to negotiate with Jane, saying he'll help her if she spares his son. So Jane still doesn't respond or move or anything because, you know, she's a corpse. But this is sort of the first... Like, there's a couple jump scares by the characters getting attacked. But this was, like, probably the... This is the scariest part of the movie right here, I'd say. Yeah, there's, like, a jump scare outside. There are corpses outside the operating room. Yeah. But t- so Tommy's wrists and ankles break as Jane's heel and her wounds from the autopsy stitch themselves up and her blood from the autopsy even re-enters her body. Tommy starts breathing out smoke as uh, Jane's lungs unblacken and he goes blind as her eyes go from cloudy to brown. So Tommy begs the son to put him out of his misery, which he does. The lights come back on and Austin hears the sheriff calling him at the emergency door. However, he finds himself unable to open it, and the sheriff's repeated open up turns into open up your heart and let the sun shine in. Hmm. <laughs> Which, you know, like... Oh, man, when that, that happened, I sort of realized yeah. that, that, like, at that point, when he couldn't open it, I'm like, well, the the storm was a hallucination, which means the tree was a hallucination, so why can't he open it? And then I realized, like, oh, shit, this movie isn't over. Yeah, um, it, it's not like it, it's or it's not like Jane is about to go out killing people, right? It's not like it, at this point it's been too far into the movie for the sort of villain to go out and start terrorizing people. So now you're thinking, okay, how is this going to end? Yeah. So so yeah, go ahead. So Austin sort of sees his dead dad standing behind him, and in his panic, falls backwards through a railing, cracking his head open and also dying. So, you know, both Tommy and Austin are dead. and Yeah. So the next day, uh, police are actually there. They, uh, they removed the bodies of Austin and Tommy, but luckily not Emma, implying that she was a vision too, um, from what appears to be a double homicide. So there are some things I noticed here. Um, the lights are unbroken. There's no glass on the floor. Uh, injuries like scratches and cuts they got throughout the film, excluding the ones that actually killed them. So Tommy being stabbed and... and Austin falling to his death, are not present, and the radio talks about the fourth straight day of sun. Uh, Jane Doe lies on the operating table as if she was never even opened up, um, and so the sheriff does what so many did before him, and basically just says, like, I want her out of my jurisdiction. So he gets a cop to send her to Virginia State Police. And we get the classic, the classic horror movie ending, you know, the cops driving away, the radio tunes to to let the sun shine in, and you see her toe twitch, and that's the first time we see her move. Which, the movie. I and mean, that's it. it. It almost I saw it right at the end. And I'm like, oh fuck, they're sequel baiting, aren't they? But I sincerely hope that they don't. They're not. I mean, if it was Thank a successful God. movie, and four years ago, and a sequel's not even in production, I think that the directors know enough to not let that Hopefully. happen. Yeah. Um. The director's actually a, a legendary guy. He did um, Troll Hunter, uh, which is a sort of Norwegian cult film, and another one, which I'm, I'm struggling to think of now. Um, but he's actually a really well-respected um, uh, horror movie director. Um, but yeah, so what do you think? I loved this movie. Like I said at the top of the show, I mean, it... It plays on the classic, like, oh, here's an old song coming on, 
um, horror movie trope or the oh no it was a, a, a ritual killing and now you know there's something supernatural happening mm-hmm. but I think scary it, stories it, to it, tell in the dark is the other one right yeah so it but it uses all those tropes so fucking well that yeah, it, yeah. it leads to just like such a I mean I I, I could not tear my eyes off the screen I was never I was always, you know, looking even at the most like, you know, terrifying or just like viscerally creepy parts of the movie, like where they realize that she's been alive this whole time. That was sort of the main twist where you you realize, okay, she's been alive and, you know, she didn't instantly jump up from the operating table. So what is going on right now? It's Mm -hmm. not the they could have done a lot worse by having her jump up and, you know, go out into the town and terrorize her. And I think well, yeah, a, it's worse even like, writer, a worse writer and director would have had that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas with this, it, it sort of implies that this sort of cycle is never actually coming to an end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they, they do a really good job um, of sort of, even though she's dead, she doesn't move, sort of including her through like good directing like camera angles yeah through good like acting. very 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 like making sure that you never forget that this is an autopsy and that she's there yeah like she's always I, I there like the, oh, the fact that 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 was i think that was sort of a conscious choice to maybe hint to the viewer that she is still alive i mean i, I have my live suspicions going, her. yeah i i had my suspicions going in that you know oh of course it's going to be the body that they're performing the autopsy on that will be the villain but and, I, you know, I, the whole time, like I said, I, I was waiting for her to jump up, but she never mm. does. Yeah. She's always there, just kind of watching. Well, not watching, but you know what I mean. Well, she's sort of, watching even. Yeah. yeah she, she's just laying there, but it, being very present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like the, the second act, as I said, you know, like, you've got these corpses running around. Like, it had jump scares. It was kind of spooky, but it wasn't actually, like, what the movie did well, the reason I love it is because it was, like, it's, it's very unsettling, very creepy. Um, and I, I feel like you sort of lose that when the yeah. the foil or, like, dead bodies running around. Um, and, again, good effects and everything, you know, like, these people without faces and stuff like that. But, um, and it advanced the plot well enough. I just, I felt like in any other movie, on. it would have been great. But in this one, it just didn't live up to the first act it, or the final it, one. Yeah, it, it was a great, like, act of a horror movie, but just not for this one, because that's yeah. that didn't appear to be the sort of ambiance that they were going for. Or when yeah. that started happening, I was thinking, okay, this is the moment where we realize that, yes, it is Jane Doe, and she's controlling all the corpses, and they have to destroy her in some way. Mm-hmm. And when that, when that sort of subsides, and we see that both Austin and Tommy die, it's it sort of you realize, okay, why was that in the movie? Like, it's obviously there for a reason to show that she's the sort of main supernatural force here, but it it kind of undermines that otherwise, you know, fairly well-directed and shot, you know, jump scare sequence, right? Or when they're having their emotional, like, heart-to-heart in the elevator. But then you, you sort of get to the end and you realize that didn't really do much for the plot. It was just to sort of, I don't want to say pat Well, I feel like the emotional heart-to-heart in the elevator did, and if if the entire bit with the, the bodies walking around was to get them to the point in the elevator, which I think was the emo- emotionally 
maybe the the second strongest part in the film, like right after the part where they sort of realize she's alive. Um, I think it was worth it. I just feel like it was weaker than the rest of the movie. Um, yeah. Because I, I think that that heart-to-heart was really important because, you know, as I mentioned, and as we sort of discussed a little bit, you know, Tommy acts very clinical. Uh, Brian Cox does a brilliant job of playing this guy. He acts very clinical and, you know, emotionally separated, which, again, you have to be, but, you know, then he talks in the elevator about how it was this emotional separation from his wife that led to her, you know, suffering without him realizing and and her eventual suicide. Um, And then you realize that, you know, with Tommy being the stereotypical... Sorry, with Austin being the stereotypical young guy in the movie and... And, and Tommy being the stereotypical older guy, you know, with Austin freaking out way earlier and being like, we got to get out of here, and, and Tommy being rational or whatever, um, you sort of realize that he actually hasn't grown. It's this emotional distance, this emotional distance that he feels even from this woman that he's performing an autopsy on. That he, that he recently realized was still alive for all of it. Well, no, even that, I mean, they don't even know she's alive at that point. It's just that it's this overarching theme that this guy's main character flaw is that he doesn't know how to connect with people, you know, emotionally, except maybe his son. Um, but maybe it's it's women. I think that there's a, a big feminist theme throughout. I'm going to get into that in a minute. Right, we, we see, the only time we see him showing any sort of emotion is when he's sort of pleading for her to spare his, for her to spare his son. That's the only, it's only when Jane Doe is obviously this sort of supernatural force that could more or less wield Lovecraftian powers. It's only at that point that he shows any sort of emotion. It is a very Lovecraftian film. I don't know if it's about showing emotion. I think it's more about connections. You know, like, he, he was unable to connect to his wife, and he's unable to sort of empathize with with Jane Doe and I feel like you know I yeah I wanted to talk about this she I think is honestly the protagonist of this film because she warns them she warns them over and over and over um I'm actually of the opinion that the cat didn't die mostly because I don't like to see that um but um you know like if you look at the lyrics of this song you know mommy told me something a little girl should know it's all about the devil and I learned to hate them so you know here you go she said he causes trouble when you let him in your room. He'll never, ever leave you if your heart is filled with gloom. Um, and then saying, yeah, let the sun shine in, face it with a grin. Smile is never lose and frown is never win. I think it's it's important, uh, much more important, and sort of subverts this trope of just having a spooky song and actually having the spooky song sort of reveal the entire plot of the film ahead of time or at least tell you what happened to, to Jane. Because in this sort of moment of incredible pain uh, or gloom and in this moment of incredible misery for her and suffering she became a witch which is you know obviously there's like the Harry Potter definition but like the actual pure definition of a witch is somebody who consorts with the devil right um, and and so like she straight up says here that like in her misery or in her suffering uh, the devil came in and inhabited her right and um, she tells him that, and he doesn't listen. You know, why does that song keep coming on the radio? I don't know. 
Um, and, and whereas Austin, as a nurse, somebody whose job is to be emotionally in tune with his patients, is he understands that. And I think that's why, in a sense, like, she is almost unconsciously doling out everything that, that happens to her. Um, like, all of this suffering she's been through for 300 years, 350 years, um, she, she sort of doles out. Uh, and it's, they, they note it themselves, like, they're sympathetic to her in the end, and they're like, she, we're just in her way, right? Um, which is why, in a sense, she heals by causing the same injuries to other people. Um, and, and so, um, I, I, I do think, you know, it's, it's important that scene specifically where he, he, he notes that, um, um, he was emotionally distant from his wife and, and that's what led to her dying. I think that, you know, this almost harkens back to the old, old Greek narratives of like the fatal flaw, right? And that his fatal flaw, what, what ruins him in the end is that he is unable to move, like to, to grow past that. He's unable to take a lesson from his wife's suicide, mm -hmm. even though he, he acknowledges that's what happened. He's unable to, to understand that. Um, which I think is, is, you know, pretty interesting. I think that it, it you know, him becoming the an accidental antagonist of that film uh, simply by lacking emotional growth. Doing his growth. job. Yeah, doing his job, but lacking emotional growth is a really sort of interesting twist to have. But I also like this idea that the antagonist of the film, in a sense, the person who is making our main character suffer is also the good guy and that's obviously jane and that she she provides these warnings for people right um and and she, right. she tries to warn them. She's she tries just, to scare them away yeah so i mean I, yeah look if i'm doing an autopsy you know and, and i went in for the to inspect the chest cavity and there was a ritualistic tattoo only on the inside of the body i don't give a shit what the sheriff says i'm out of there <laughs> I'm out I'm of gone. there. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Or even if you're in an underground compound and the radio's like flash flooding, I'm out. So yeah, yeah. no, that's um I think if it, I think if we were in this movie, we simply would have survived and not cut her open. Um I think we're yeah. just uh built different. I'm I'm built different, yeah. I I simply would have walked out and handled it. I, I yeah. would have dealt with the sheriff. Yeah. I I I, I would have said no thank you, sir. <laughs> But, um, you know, on a more serious note, yeah, she does sort of provide a warning and she attempts to maybe not, I guess, yeah, scare them away. But then they think, no, the only way out is through. So we just have to finish this autopsy. And and then when that doesn't work, oh, we have to kill her. Yeah. It's only, you know, when she's obviously an actual threat that they decide to try to communicate with her. And you know, or at Tommy least Tommy. Says, you know, I'm I'm much yeah, more Tom, Tom, Yeah, Tommy you know, says, Austin. You know, Austin's just a good boy. Son. Austin's yeah. a good boy. Tommy says, "I'll spare my son," and then Jane's like, "Yeah, okay, sure." <laughs> yeah, and so I think it's it's important. You know, I, I think there are two more things I want to get into before we start talking about some history. Um, but so the, the first is I think a lot of people are kind of confused as to why she killed Tommy. Oh, sorry, Austin. Austin. You know, obviously Tommy was obvious. He he basically 
gave her permission, uh, not explicitly, but he did, to, to do what she did to him. Um, but I think that, um, you know, as I mentioned, a, a witch is quite explicitly somebody who um, communes with the devil, um, or is in league with the devil. And, and I think, as we all know, you know, when you make a deal with the devil, the, your terms are fulfilled no matter what. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, whatever, the trickster, and they'll try and get one up on you, but your terms will be fulfilled. Um, and so the Tommy needed to feel all the pain and the suffering that Jane did throughout her ritual, and, and by dying early, he didn't. Um, and so Jane needs to move on. And she needs to find someone else to heal herself, uh, to fulfill her end of whatever bargain she had or whatever bargain was foisted upon her by the devil. And, and that's why she has to kill um, Austin, and that's the only way to do it. Um, it's also, I think, important to note that the only specific medical procedure that uh, Austin did on her was at the end when he opened up her skull to take her brain out. Um, and he dies by having his head cracked open. Um, whereas every other medical procedure done or autopsy procedure done on her was done on her by Tommy, and those were all eventually reflected on him. Um, oh, right, because, yeah, because he was, because he was stabbed. Wasn't yeah, he? he got the lead autopsy. Yeah. Well, that's how he dies, but, you know, in the end, like, whatever, the eyes cloud over, the wrist break, like, all of the stuff he was examining gets transferred over to him, except for the head being opened up, and the head Which... being opened up happens to... Austin, which is the one thing that he did. I think that's... I just sort of thought of that. Um, and I think that's kind of interesting. But no, I think, honestly, it was more of just Jane fulfilling... Or having to fulfill her end of, of whatever yeah. contract she had. But they, um, they don't... This, obviously, they don't spell any of this out. It's sort of there for you to read between the lines and, you know... Yeah, I, I yeah. think... Uh, if this you don't, it's still a good enough that, horror film. Like, if you accept yeah. that, that Jane is just evil... It's a good enough horror film. I mean, you can even accept that yeah. the the explanation that Tommy came up with wasn't true and that she actually just was a witch the entire time and they just didn't banish her. I don't I don't think so. I think that I I like the idea of Jane as a good guy uh, a lot better. Um, but I I think it's interesting. There's another thing here. I read this this article from uh I guess a feminist movie review site called Screen Queens. Um, and it says, The Autonomy of Jane Doe, Reassigning Agency to the Dead Girl. Um, it's an article that I think makes a lot of silly points, but it, it has an interesting thing here. So it, it, I'm just going to read some of it. It says, The Dead Girl is an infamous trope. We'll link it as well. The Dead Girl is an infamous trope that has rattled the brains of male detectives and audiences of all genders within the American zeitgeist for decades. She is beautiful young and thin. She's usually white, and most importantly of all, she is dead. We've seen the dead girls Laura Palmer in Twin Peaks, most of the Heathers and Heathers. Um, Allison de Laurentiis in Pretty Little Liars, Lily Kane and Veronica Mars, and countless other examples. Um, Americans love to romanticize and fetishize the death of women for the sake of entertainment. While this genre can provide women an outlet for her fears, the image of the dead girl is looming over a vision of an idealized American society further desensitizing us to the reality of the mass amount of violence against women. The Autopsy of Jane Doe, directed by Andre Overdahl, works to fulfill the narrative uh, of a revenge film from a different angle. 
giving agency back to the dead girl without her ever moving a muscle. So it goes into a review, and it basically says that, you know, instead of... It's sort of... Sub, it, it, the, the, the point they try and make that they like about this film is that it... it, it or the author specifically, um, her name is Taylor Hunsberger, that she likes it because she sees it as a revenge film. And, you know, normally the revenge film is like, my wife died, and so I'm going to go kill everyone who did this to her. Right? Sort of this John Wick type of thing, except instead of a dog, it's a woman. That happens all the time. Right? Um, or even if it's revenge, like, um, what's that shitty Netflix show? 13 Reasons Why? Um, yeah. There's a perfect example of a dead girl just being exploited the hell out of. Um... And they say it's a revenge film from the perspective of the dead girl herself, which is an interesting point. Um, the only thing I sort of disagree with uh, is that throughout the the article, uh, the author, she talks a lot about how Tommy and Austin kind of deserve it, and you should be cheering Jane on as she, as she like, murders these people, or kills which these people. I, I think... I think it's a bit far. It, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I do think, though, that there are a lot of really interesting feminist undertones to this film, because in a sense, it, it does. It, it does give... The central point of this article, I think, is, is a good one, that it, it does give agency back to this woman who was uh, tortured to death by a, a patriarchal, theocratic society. Um, and she basically... Just as she was innocent, she takes it out on the innocent. And it's, I think, completely subconscious. And she is well-meaning enough, but it just happens. Um, which, first of all, is sort of an interesting reversal of this idea of what happened during these witch trials, which we'll get into in a second. Um, but yeah, also... I mean, it was just sort of something that happened to her. Yeah. And that, um, you know, she she's not necessarily evil. She's just yeah. sort of... Yeah, like you said earlier, holding up her end of the bargain with the devil. Yeah, which she was, again, forced into. But in, in, in a sense, it still gives her her agency back because this is the first time she's able to exercise power. Um, but yeah, so I want to get into a little bit just the Salem witch trials um, because I think it sort of adds this interesting historical context. Um, so there's sort of a... Actually, no, you go ahead. I want you to read out, um, because I think it provides context, this sort of letter from an important priest to the, so the legal system. This was, this was a deposition, wasn't it? Well, it was sort of advice that the judge yeah. uh, asked for from, from a priest so, in, in Salem Village. The afflicted state of our poor neighbors that are now suffering by molestations from the invisible world, we apprehend so deplorable that we think their condition calls for the utmost help of all persons in their several capacities. We cannot but, with all thankfulness, acknowledge the success which the merciful God has given unto the sedulous and assiduous endeavors of our honorable rulers, to detect the abominable witchcrafts which have been committed in the country, humbly praying that the discovery of those mysterious and mischievous wickednesses may be perfected. We judge that, in the prosecution of these and all such witchcrafts, there is need of a very critical and exquisite caution, lest by too much credulity for things received only upon the devil's authority there be a door opened for a long train of miserable consequences, and Satan get an advantage over us, for we should not be ignorant of his devices. As in complaints upon witchcrafts, there may be matters of inquiry which do not amount unto matters of presumption, and there may be matters of presumption which yet may not be matters of conviction, 
So it is necessary that all proceedings thereabout be managed with an exceeding tenderness towards those that may be complained of, especially when they have been persons formerly of an unblemished reputation. When the first inquiry is made into the circumstances of such as may lie under the just suspicion of witchcrafts, we could wish that there may be admitted as little as is possible of such noise, company, and openness as may too hastily expose them that are examined, and that there may be no thing used as a test for the trial of the suspected, the lawfulness whereof may be doubted among the people of God, but that the directions given by such judicious writers as Perkins and Bernard. Two judges at the time, I believe. Yeah. Presumptions whereupon persons may be committed, and much more, convictions whereupon persons may be condemned as, condemned as guilty of witchcrafts, ought certainly to be more considerable than barely the accused persons being represented by a specter unto the afflicted, inasmuch as it is an undoubted and notorious thing that a demon may, by God's permission, appear, even to ill purposes, in the shape of an innocent, yea, and a virtuous man. Nor can we esteem alterations made in the sufferers by a look or touch of the accused. To be an infallible evidence of guilt, but frequently liable to be abused by the devil, devil's leisure de main. We do not know whether some remarkable affronts given to the devils by our disbelieving those testimonies whose whole force and strength is from them alone may not put a period unto the progress of the dreadful calamity begun upon us in the accusations of so many persons, whereof some, we hope, are yet clear from the great transgression laid unto their charge. Nevertheless, we cannot but humbly recommend unto the government the speedy and vigorous prosecution of such as have rendered themselves obnoxious according to the direction given in the laws of God for the detection of witchcrafts. Yeah. So what's so, interesting about the Salem trials is that they actually were exactly that. They were trials. There's a sort of a, a sort of an assumption, and it's not without reason of uh, or, or, or sort of evidence of, of a witch trial is a sort of thing like you see in Monty Python where you get... A crowd of people who pick out a woman, um, they put upon her, like, unreasonable test, throw her in the river. If she sinks, she's innocent, and she drowns. If she's, you know, if she floats, she's a witch, and we burn her to death. Um, but, and then, you know, they do their unreasonable test, and then they kill her. Um, but, and, and this was true, this happened, you know, especially in Germany, but also in France and England. Um, but it's, also, in, in Salem, specifically Salem Village, um, which is now, I think, called Danver, Massachusetts, uh, they did it a little bit differently, um, partially because they were Protestant extremists who thought what the Catholics were doing was papist nonsense, um, and, and partially Which they were right to believe. <laughs> I mean, they were right in that they were doing it badly but i mean i don't know about witch trials in general but also because uh it was an english colony and if you know anything about the english they love their rule of law they love their sort of systems and such like that and so the witch trials actually had they were actual trials within the legal court system um and they produced convictions and people who were uh proven innocent were left alone which is is interesting it's obviously still awful what they did to these poor innocent women but i think it's sort of an interesting fluke that actually led to some changes and so what you heard declan read out in the beginning about this guy giles Corey was actually legal evidence submitted to the court about this specter haunting a woman um now giles Corey was an interesting figure simply because he refused to 
plead at all, innocent or guilty, but um, that we just figured was interesting also because it's sort of similar, what it described there was similar to what, what Jane Doe did. Um, so yeah, the, um, uh, the witchcraft accusations went through pretty quickly. Um, there were these two girls, young, Betty Paris and Abigail Williams, they started having convulsions and other weird symptoms like crawling all over stuff, very exorcist type of thing. Um, and so the doctor was like, uh-oh, they're bewitched. Um, other times people started, uh, showing similar symptoms, accusations started flying, uh, and the town decided that they were going to search for and execute all the witches. Um, and so by the end of the trials in 1693, 19 people had been hung, uh, and one Giles Croy crushed by stones and four had died in prison. Um, so, uh, there is, a lot of people try and try explain why this happened. Declan has an interesting theory that some historians believe that I, I think we'll get into in a second. Um, but I was reading some interesting things just about tension in the town. They had all sorts of, funnily enough, very nasty elections. Um, shortly before the witch trial. Electoral started. politics fails once again. Exactly, exactly. And people actually, uh, I've seen some like analysis of the actual like geography and layout of the town and how it sort of made sure that unlike other small towns, there was no togetherness. In a sense, like there was, wasn't this idea of pulling together. It People was sort were still of your household. Sorry? It was sort of your household in their, in their layout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was less this idea of like, the town having responsibility to itself. People didn't pull together. They were more isolated from each other. Um, but also, yeah, there were, like, nasty religious conflicts in the town. Some people had been outed as secret Catholics the previous year and executed. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, there was a nasty election. Um, and so these people were already on edge. And so when these accusations started flying, it exploded. Now, why people were doing these accusations, I've heard this story, this, this theory that women were having hallucinations because they or or even just pretending to have hallucinations because they were so oppressed and so restricted of course this was a puritan colony these people were religious fanatics who banned christmas they were too insane they were too insane for 17th century england so they had yeah to yeah leave. so they had this coup in england they killed the king uh charles the first um and had this dictatorship where you went to church every day eight hours on sundays and fun was literally not allowed. Like, you couldn't have parties on Christmas. In fact, one of the weird leftover laws in Britain still is that you're not allowed to have mincemeat pies on Christmas. Um, obviously, it's not enforceable. It's one of those things, like, you're not allowed to wear armor into Parliament. Um, it's it's on the books because it's more effort to strike it than it is to just never enforce it. Exactly. Um, but that's sort of a result of, of this. So, yeah, the... So Charles I is executed, and then I think about 20 years later, Charles II comes back, uh, kicks the Puritans out, uh, and then... Because um, they're fucking weird. Yeah, begins A, a decades-long party, uh, and B, probably one of the probably the only case of justified religious persecution ever uh, in England. You know, they start being proper Anglicans again. Um, and so all the Puritans go, and they've got this idea, like, we're going to build this puritan utopia in the new world so they go to the colonies and so this is sort of the context so these women were incredibly repressed like like handmaid's tale is based i mean as much as it's a lib thing to bring up handmaid's tale especially now it was based off of this sort of puritan like the outfits and everything these puritan yeah. um 
societies. And so, um, this idea that, like, these witch trials for these young girls were the only opportunity for them in their lives to exercise any power or any autonomy was to make these accusations. And, and there were racial aspects to it as well. Um, and there were class aspects to it. You know, the people who were accused tended to be people who, uh, one of them was a slave, the, one of the first people, Tichuba, and, and often people with no support networks, you know, old women, divorcees. Um, and there are even theories that people were accusing people because if you were convicted, your property went to the church and then it was sold. So if you wanted a bigger farm, you would accuse somebody of witchcraft, which is really sad. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking what happened to this town. Um, and a lot of people died in, in a horrible fashion. But Declan has this interesting theory that a, a lot of historians have so, uh, about yeah, psychoactives. So I'm, I'm surprised, Malcolm, that you had never heard of this angle when we were just talking before we went live, because this is, I think, the... There's the sort of angle of, oh, well... You know, they were repressed and this was the women were repressed and this was sort of the way that they would, you know, act. And but, even that the repression itself caused hallucinations. Yeah. And, and so there's now a, a sort of historical, I don't want to say consensus because it's still sort of up for debate. But there was a study done in, uh, I want to say in the 70s. because 1976, the Dr. Linda Caporial of the Rinsfield so, Polytechnic Institute. They they may have been suffering from a, a sort of, I guess, food poisoning because of a psychoactive fungus that can grow in rye bread, which is, of course, what they were growing and eating in these communities. So the, the theory, I guess, suggests that the two, um, the two girls who, you know, had their hallucinations and they're climbing on furniture and they're, you know, exorcist moment that it was merely just them tripping off of whatever psychoactives may have grown in this rye bread. The disorder is called ergotism, yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it's, I guess, one perspective and a sort of explanation as to how this could have happened. I mean, I think it, it may have been a sort of combination of both because they were so repressed, the psychoactives kind of, you know, their their effects were amplified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it says but here... It, I'm just reading Britannica, sort of the scientific thing. So it says, with the exception of a few events, which are typically attributed to groupthink and the power of suggestion, as I was talking about, the behavior exhibited in 1692 fits the bill of rye-induced ergotism. Ergotism forms in rye after severe winter and damp spring, conditions that Caporal and other historians claim were present in 1691, and therefore affected the rye harvested for consumption in 1692. Uh, after the rye plant contracts ergot, uh, fungus grows and replaces the shoots in the grain with sclerotia, are ergot sclerotia are purple-black growths that contain lysergic acid and ergotamine. Since medical knowledge was sparse, presence of darker shoots on rye was probably thought to be a product of overexposure to the sun, so it was likely eaten despite being poisonous. Another thing that I found here is that apparently um, the Aztecs actually cultivated this because they knew about its psychoactive properties. So for their rituals, they would actually use... That's the, so um, interesting. So they, they would use the lysergic acid amide, which is closely related to LSD. So they would actually cultivate it because they knew what it would do. Aztecs so for their ritual, like, bro, the Aztecs... I am tripping balls on ergot right now. But I have a basketball game that decides whether I get my head cut off right now. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Dudes rock. 
yeah, yeah, so it so says it. it uh, it's also called St. Anthony's Fire, which I'm sure you've heard of. It causes severe convulsions, muscle spasms, delusions, the sensation of crawling under the skin, and in extreme cases, gangrene of the extremities. And hallucinations. Which, you know, I, I would be pretty freaked out if I just ate some bread and then all of a sudden I was feeling insects crawling under my skin. Yeah, and seeing uh, hallucinations and having delusions. Yeah, oh yeah. It makes sense. And so yeah, it says like the that most of the people who were accusing were were young girls, which is is important that these people were were young. They were like 10, 11, 12. Their immune systems hadn't fully developed, so they were more susceptible than the adults. Um which is a really so, interest and then of course you get more where I'm coming from, my angle of of you know, the suggestibility the group think and the repression of women that of the from among the adults, which really feeds into it, which is really interesting. Um, and you know, if people are talking about how abrupt things stopped, it's simply because Salem ran out of grain. Yeah, yeah. As as many Puritan communities did, but just think, if the weather in sixteen ninety one had been slightly different we likely would not be reviewing this movie for you guys. Or possibly, yeah. yeah. The, the butterfly effect is fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. But, and so the article still says, like, there is, however, still much debate over whether or not the theory should be accepted. Many social yeah. psychologists insist that the actions of the girls can be attributed to social and political unrest and that ergotism uh, doesn't factor into certain social aspects that could really explain what happened. You know, such aspects include Reverend Paris's possible ulterior motives. That's what I was talking about with the election. They elected the reverends. Uh, and the immense amount of stress put on the population during the 60, during 1692 due to a smallpox outbreak and a quickly expanding population. And yeah, we'll we'll never really know. Um, but I think everyone agrees that there there were no witches in, in Salem. Um, and I think, I think everyone also everyone also agrees, you know, the, the general consensus is that yes, these are the actions of an incredibly repressed you know, of incredibly repressed women who may have been acting out. And I guess it's just up for debate whether or not the ergotism contributed to that. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, you know, it's 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 really sad, you know, to see, you know, the, vic- the, 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 the victims of Salem. Obviously, some of them were men, but it was largely women. Um, and it, it was misogynistic, societal values. And so it's really sad to see that it was mostly women reporting them, right? Like... It doesn't really fit the narrative, but but this idea of you know repression caused hallucinations and social unrest, or even this this idea of accidental uh, hallucinogen like nootropic type of stuff, uh, really interesting. It sort of provides uh, an interesting context. Um, I don't really think we have much more for you today. No, I think that was you know we're just about at our target minute t- or hour ten runtime. Well, there you go. So I think with that, um, we're just going to let you guys know that we will be live streaming the election on twitch.tv slash JunoBeachPod. I managed to grab the username. Very proud of that. Hell yeah. Um, so we will be live... Um, November 3rd. One week from the time of recording. Yeah, well, and probably so the time we'll get the like that. nothing goes wrong. Yeah, so we, yeah, so we will be live streaming twitch.tv slash JunoBeachPod. Both Malcolm and I will be there. We might have some audience participation. And we'll pretty much just be watching the next stage of the American Empire. Which, uh, you know, should be fun. We'll try to fill the air with uh, some analysis. Maybe just... Humorous commentary. 
let let the people talk. I'll probably try and find a CNN feed. Yeah. Um, or maybe Fox if we want to get really unhinged. But, we can do um, anything. We'll be watching Florida, obviously, very closely. So yep. as Florida would start to come in, that will, you know, we'll give our official Juno Beach calls the election. Uh, I don't know if we're going to call the election because I we, think it's going to no, take we at are least absolutely a week. Go- we are going to call the election. All right, we'll call the election. We're going to reveal our, our analytic um, algorithm right here developed through um, many months of political analysis. Yeah. And that's whoever wins Florida in this election wins. That's fact. So that is that's the extent of our our algorithm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna be straight with all of you. I really have to pee right now. So, <laughs> I think I'm just gonna put my foot down and declare this episode over. All right. Um, so until next, next week, we'll have another episode for you next week as well as the election uh, stream. Yeah. Um. I've been Malcolm. I've been Declan. And this has been your Juno. See ya. <laughs>